I'm afraid on too many things going on in Washington right now, Republicans are seen as not having a point of view other than no. And, and uh, you know, there are a lot of things that Democrats are doing, but the, the right answer is no. But there's some topics where, where we have a better idea, and I think it's important for us to lead with those ideas, and this is one area I think we can do that. Hi, I'm Warren Cass, Executive Director of American Compass, and welcome to the American Compass podcast. Senator Romney sparked a critical debate with his introduction of the Innovative Family Security Act, which would pay a monthly child benefit to all but the wealthiest American families. A similar provision included by Democrats in the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill has been hailed for reducing child poverty, but it expires next year, which will set up a debate over how the U.S. will approach family benefits going forward. On March 18th, American Compass hosted Senator Romney for a conversation about what draws him to this issue, why he thinks conservatives should embrace the Family Security Act's approach, and how he sees this debate fitting into the broader one about the right of center's future. Please enjoy the episode and check out more of our work at AmericanCompass.org. Good to see you. Appreciate the chance to be with you and uh, and your team and uh, look forward to our conversation. Yes, and uh, I think we want to start off with uh, just a few slides to uh, run through what exactly the, the proposal is that you've been working yeah, on. Yeah, and just a moment. Let me just note, uh, if you will, the impetus for what uh, what we put together. And, and I note that uh, this was my team that worked on this and uh, brought the idea to me, and I, I signed on. So it's not like I had this brilliant insight uh, and, uh, and then told them, hey, I want you to come up with something. They, it went the other way around. Uh, but the, the, the observation that I've had and that I think many of us in the conservative world have had is that we've seen the birth rate in this country go down, down, down. And uh, people are not getting married and not having kids. And the preservation of a civilization and a nation and a society is related, of course, to maintaining its population. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you go back to 2008, and if we had had the same birth rate uh, over the last uh, 12 years that we had in 2008, we would now have 5.8 million more Americans having been born. So the declining birth rate has cost us some 5.8 million young people who 18 years from now or 20 years from now would be contributing to our economy. So uh, it, it's a real concern. And so we said, what, what is it that's wrong with our, uh, our, our family support systems in this country that's not uh, helping families, encouraging them to, to get married and to, and to have children. So that's, that's what led to, uh, to our proposal. So with that, let's turn to the first slide and let me just describe uh, what we do. So uh, under our plan, uh, parents receive uh, a benefit, a, a, a monthly benefit, and they actually begin receiving it four months prior to the time the child is due. Uh, this is to help um, uh, pregnant women who, uh, who are concerned about the financial circumstances of bringing a child into the world. Uh, and, um, and so we, we want to have the payment start uh, within four months of the due date. And the maximum payment is $1,250 per family per month. Uh, so for uh, children six years of age and younger, it's $350 a month. For kids uh, uh, over six, year, or six years and older, it's $250 a month. The, uh, the payments are administered by the Social Security Administration, uh, and so all of our kids are going to need to have a Social Security number. Uh, and I note that the, the, uh, the phase out in terms of income uh, for this program is at pretty high income levels. Uh, so for a single filer, it phases out at $200,000. And for a joint uh, filer, uh, a, a couple, in other words, it phases out at $400,000. So this is a, 
This is a monthly payment uh, that's going to uh, support children and, and having children, not just to the poor, uh, but to middle-income families and almost some higher-income families at 40000 per month. So it's, it's designed to be a, a very substantial incentive for marriage, uh, uh, family formation, uh, uh, as well as for uh, uh, having kids. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, just to describe the, the current programs, uh, right now, uh, look on the left-hand side. Uh, I'll, I'll note that our, 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 uh, our objective is to consolidate duplicate family programs to remove the marriage penalties that exist in our current systems uh, and to treat stay at home and working parents the same. We don't wanna create a, a requirement that, that, uh, that let's say a couple, uh, a man and a wife, uh, that, let's say the, uh, uh, the wife wants to go to work, the husband wants to stay home and raise the children. We don't wanna penalize uh, that individual for making that choice. Under the current plan, we spend roughly $188 billion. You see on the left-hand side of the slide, uh, that's a, uh, a child tax credit, which costs us $117 billion a year, and the earned income tax credit uh, of $71 billion a year for a total of $188. The proposal that I'm uh, making is that we uh, change the child tax credit instead to this monthly child benefit that costs the $229 billion, and then um, the earned income tax credit goes down. It's still there, of course, to provide a, an incentive for work. We love work. We want people to work, but uh, but the child portion of the earned income tax credit is eliminated. So our uh, our, our cost is 254 billion instead of 188 billion. So that means we're we're going to have to find 66 billion dollars if we want to have this as a revenue neutral proposal. And uh, and there's there's no uh, you know hard and fast uh, insistence on these pay for uh, spending offsets. But, uh, but those that we identified are to eliminate the head of household status, uh, a tax filing uh, credit. That, that is something, by the way, we're the only country that has that. It is a, 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 a marriage penalty that doesn't exist in other nations and probably shouldn't in ours. Uh, we eliminate the child and development care credit, uh, eliminate TANF. And I'd note TANF works in some states, not in others. Uh, those who love TANF will, will argue with me on that and maybe we'll find another place to find an offset. Uh, and then finally, the SNAP uh, categorical eligibility changes of 3.1 billion uh, and, uh, and then eliminate the SALT deduction. As you know, SALT is uh, uh, highly uh, associated with higher income folks. So this is something which, uh, which takes away that, that benefit to high income folks and therefore we come up with the 66 billion. Let's go to the next slide. And this one's gonna be the hardest for me to describe. Uh, on the left is the, the, uh, the size of the benefit uh, that is available to uh, the sample that we've chosen, which is uh, looking at uh, a, a, a couple with uh, two young people, uh, uh, two children and uh, one, excuse me, two young children, one older child. So two young children getting $350 a month, one older child getting $250 a month. And it's a, a couple, uh, husband and wife. And, uh, and on the uh, bottom, you see family income, uh, and uh, it ranges from zero here to about, about 100,000. So looking at the different plans, my plan is the dark line in the center. Uh, the plan that's been described by Senators Lee and Rubio is the, I think it's kind of a greenish uh, line towards the bottom. And then the, the orange line is the line that's uh, proposed by uh, President Biden. Uh, what you'll notice that, that, uh, that my plan has a relatively uh, flat level of support uh, going all the way across the uh, the income levels. Uh, in terms of differences relative to the other plans, 
Uh, you'll note that on the Biden plan, uh, he has a substantially higher amount at, at very low incomes, under 25,000, and then brings it down uh, pretty uh, quickly and substantially. On the uh, Lee and Rubio plan, you'll notice that, that uh, until you get to about 75,000 of income, uh, that plan has substantially less uh, support for, uh, for children uh, at the lower income levels. And perhaps the biggest difference is at the very, very low end, which is uh, zero to about uh, $12,000. Uh, the, uh, the Lee and Rubio plan is, uh, is very, very low indeed. Uh, and, uh, and the plan that I proposed has more support for very, very low income families. So that's the, uh, the outline. And with that, uh, I'll turn back to you, Oren, for any questions you might have, and you can take the slides off. Thanks. Terrific, Senator. Thank you for, for providing the overview. I think as anyone listening gets the sense, there's obviously a huge number of, of variables that go into this sort of proposal. And so I'd love to sort of talk through the, the thinking and the rationale that, that goes into a few of them. Um, I, I think the one that's probably been the focus of the most attention and, and debate is, is exactly what you highlighted on, on the contrast between your proposal and, and the one from Senators Lee and Rubio at, at the sort of very low income uh, end of the threshold, and, and particularly at, at, at the sort of zero dollar amount. That is, if, if you have a household that's, that's not earning any income of its own, uh, certainly the traditional view on the right of center has been, uh, you know, we want to provide a safety net to, to those folks, but uh, we, we don't think we want to sort of send them large amounts of cash. And so um, I, I'd love to sort of dig in there first on, on your thoughts on why we, we want to move to a model that says, even if you're a household that, that isn't working at all, um, you know, we, we have up to a, a $1,000 a month maybe coming, coming from the government. Well, let me, let me describe two scenarios. One is one where some, there's no work at all in the household. And the other is, let's say, a, a, a family earning a minimum wage. So they're at, uh, you know, $17,000 a year. Uh, and, um, and, and what's the difference between those two scenarios? Uh, for those that are earning nothing at all would presumably be a, a single parent. Uh, and, um, and if it's a single parent with two or three children, uh, the question is whether we as a society want to encourage uh, the mom to leave the home, or if it's a dad, the dad to leave the home and, and to work, or whether we might instead look back at their work experience prior to having children. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not entirely adverse to saying, all right, you have to have shown some history of work or be able to get some job. Um, but I do think that as you, if you have someone, for instance, earning $5,000 or $10,000 in their household, to say, hey, we're not going to give you much money to take care of your children. Uh, one, I don't know that that's good for the kids. Uh, you know, I, I think we have a societal interest, one, in encouraging people to have children, and number two, having a certain amount of support per child. One of the reasons we moved to the monthly payment was because uh, right now with the uh, child tax credit, uh, you, you get a, a refund or a substantial check uh, when you file your taxes. So it might be $6,000 that comes when you file your taxes. Well, how's that money going to get spent? Uh, probably not on monthly food and clothes for the kids. It's going to be spent on some major purchase, more, more than likely if people act like I do, uh, when something comes in an unexpected way. Uh, and so moving to a monthly uh, check is, it means that we're going to do a better job in supporting our kids giving them a chance uh, perhaps to even go to a, a private or parochial uh, school setting, a Catholic uh, uh, school perhaps, uh, but giving uh, food and clothing uh, support that, that they would need. So um, if there's an on-off switch for whether someone has any work, I understand that. 
but I do think that even at low incomes, you don't want to say to people, hey, we're not going to support uh, children uh, any more than you've paid in taxes. Um, and so, for instance, if you look at something like, like Medicare, I mean, people pay into Medicare all their lives, but we don't limit how much you receive in Medicare based on how much you've paid during your lifetime. Likewise, with Social Security, Social Security disability or, or old age, we don't limit how much you get from these programs by how much you've put in. But we do insist that you've worked, obviously, and, and have contributed to the programs in the first place, other than for the disabled. So I think, I think the philosophy is let's support families and encourage family formation and childbearing and, uh, and not, uh, if you will, have lower support uh, for families of low income than we do for families that are earning, let's say, 25000 50000 or 75000 yeah, that's that's a terrific point. I think about the the, the family that's earning fifteen or twenty thousand dollars a year. You know, you can you can imagine the, the single parent with a, a part time minimum wage job, let's say. Um, but I, I think you you raise the interesting hypothetical. So let's say you have a single parent. You know, maybe with young kids. Should public policy prefer work over no work? I think you know you emphasize you, if if you have the two parent household and and one parent might want to stay home. We certainly don't want to discourage that. Where you only have one parent in the household, of course, now, now you face a much sharper trade-off between time with the family and, and time uh, in the workforce. And so I'm curious if, if from your perspective, it, it's, is it better for policy to, to truly be agnostic on that question? Or would you see it as important to say, you know, we, we don't necessarily want her working three shifts or we, we, we don't want him working three shifts um, but but we do see the value in in at least some time in the workforce, even if that means some time away from from kids. Well, first of all, I, I very much uh, favor uh, a policy of encouraging work. Uh, I, 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 I don't like the idea of people having a, a lifetime of government support uh, and never getting into the workforce and not participating in the workforce. So you really do want to have uh, people working and you want to encourage people to work. One uh, thing I'd noticed that uh, we don't eliminate the earned income tax credit. That, that is still there. Uh, and so there is a substantial incentive uh, which exists uh, in, in our program and in the current law to encourage people to work. That remains. And, and so I, I, I want to encourage people to work. Uh, and I don't know that I'm going to make the societal decision of, of uh, if, if, I, if there's a mom, single mom, uh, with two kids, do I want her to, uh, to be working uh, when they're little, when they're you know, one and two years old? Uh, do I want it when they're working when they're five? I mean, I can make those judgments, but I'm not sure I want to uh, you know, apply those necessarily to society at large. Uh, and so I, I'm comfortable with the idea of saying, uh, let, let's say this person has worked in the past. Uh, okay, that might be sufficient as a you know, on-off switch for these benefits. Uh, but if someone said, no, you've got to work at least, uh, let's say $5,000 worth per year, I, you know, I'm okay with that. I, I think I'd, I'd prefer a setting where, where we don't connect work and childbearing in the same policy. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, my own preference is to recognize that one thing I want to encourage here is family formation and childbearing. I also want to encourage and continue to encourage work, but I don't know that I want to put those two things together. So um, I, I want to make sure that we have incentives for people to go to work and to be participants in the work system. At the same time, I want to encourage people to have children and I want to support people who do have children to make sure that the child is given the kind of care and treatment that, uh, that we as a society want them to have. 
Yeah. And that's, I think that's a really important point that at, at, at the end of the day, you're talking about the, the, the welfare of the children who, of course, are, are not the ones who, who decide whether to work or not. Um, no. and, and so that's, that's certainly a factor as well. Yeah, um, I, I, I think I'd also I'd also know just that uh, my team has pointed this out to me and, and I haven't seen all the data on this, but they say there are a number of other countries which have moved to a, a setting much like what I've described. And and there was some question about whether this would lead people to become uh, less inclined to work. And the result in other countries has been just the opposite, that for whatever reason, as as they went to a monthly uh, or, or regular payment schedule, uh, and did not have a work requirement, but nonetheless, more people ended up going back to work. And it may well have just been the, the greater confidence they had that they could care for their children uh, that allowed them to take on part-time work or other jobs, but people went back to work. So uh, clearly, if, if, uh, if, if we're talking about the, the, the few cases where it's a zero income person, uh, we can look and see what the experience is uh, before we rush to a final judgment. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point, and I think distinguishes between the sort of the, the, the practical case and the principled case. And, and of course, you know, it, it makes no sense to consider the principle without the, the practical implications. I think, conversely, there's, there's an important consideration of kind of what are the principles that, that, that motivate the policy design. And, and so I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, what this kind of thinking means for conservatism and, and for the, the right of center and, and the GOP going forward. Um, you know, one point that you, you made in, in comparing your proposal to the Rubio-Lee one was to emphasize that, you know, you don't want to gear how much support a family should receive toward how much they might have paid in taxes. That, that, that's not what we do with Medicare. It's not what we do with Social Security. And, and it's a somewhat arbitrary linkage. Um, I think the, the traditional view uh, among Republicans would be, um, well, we believe in, in making the tax code uh, as, as fair as possible and, and using it to do things like support families. Um, but that's a very different matter from what would look more like redistribution. That is, we simply tax some people and, and send the money to others. And, and they would say, well, this goes over that line. Once, once you disconnect this from the tax code, this truly is just collecting money from some people and sending it to others. One answer is that's fine and we should do it. But I, I'm, I'm very curious how you, whether you see that division as, as an important one and, and how it would factor into to this kind of policy. Well, you know, I'm just taking a, looking at a circumstance and saying, all right, let's say we've got a, a young couple. And I think it, it, in, in most cases we're talking about uh, across the country, uh, these are uh, these are uh, couples, uh, young couples that have one or two children, uh, and you have a a spouse or perhaps both of them that are working at very low income levels. Um, uh, they're early in their career, and uh, they probably have maybe they have some student debt as well. But in many cases, they've not graduated from college or gone to college. Um, so they're you know let's say they're earning twenty five thousand dollars a year or fifteen thousand dollars a year combined. Uh, and, and the question is, what do we want to do as a society with regards to encouraging them to have children and supporting the children that they have? And I think it is in, in our society's interest not to say to them, I'm sorry, you haven't earned enough money to get the $350 a month. You're only going to get $122 a month because you haven't earned enough money. Or do we say as a society, we value your children we value the support that you're going to be able to give the child in terms of food and clothing and so forth, education. And, uh, and so we as a society uh, are going to provide 
the, the kind of support that, that you would need. Uh, the same support for your children that someone who's earned 30,000 or $40,000 a year would get. And, and so I fall on, on that side. I know, I think there are a number of things that are very conservative in approach. One is we're, we're making uh, payments to, to young women uh, that are pregnant within four months of their due date. Uh, as I indicated that, that among those that have abortions, uh, some 70% say the reason, or one of the key reasons that they had an abortion was because they were concerned about their financial capability and caring for the child. So providing a monthly stipend to someone who is pregnant is uh, very much a pro-life uh, consideration. Uh, likewise, I, I believe that uh, encouraging family formation and childbearing, particularly in a society that, that would have had 5.8 million more people if we'd have had the same birth rate as we had in 2008 over the last 12 years, that's also a very conservative uh, uh, orientation, which is to maintain uh, our civilization and our society. So, um, you know, we can, uh, we can question whether people should get more than they paid in taxes. But again, I note that with regards to our, uh, our, our retirement programs and our disability programs, that's not a, a requirement. Very interesting. And it, it, it points to the, I think, as you alluded to sort of the, the economic challenges, it, it sort of points to, in my mind anyway, how this fits into the sort of broader debate that, that is in, increasingly going on on the right of center about what role public policy needs to play, especially economic policy, in, in addressing uh, some of these challenges that, that the country has. And, and so put, putting this proposal in that context, you know, I, I, I think it is implicit in, in the case that you've made that it is, it, it is harder now for a family to support kids than it might've been in the past, if, if, if that is part of the reason for, for the, the childbearing decline. Is, how would you describe your assessment of, of what has happened in the economy and what, what makes this policy maybe needed more now than it would have been in the past? You know, I, I do believe, uh, based upon uh, not just experience, but what I'm reading, that 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 uh, there's a, a lot more uh, employment uh, uncertainty uh, on the part of young people, whether coming out of high school or coming out of college, as to uh, their permanence in their job and their reluctance to marry uh, is one of the uh, uh, elements of uh, of that. Uh, likewise, the decision to delay having children is likewise associated with that. Uh, that's just the new reality. I mean, when I was growing up, people went to work in a company and uh, the great majority of people did, I did, and planned on staying for a long time. Uh, that's just not the case today. And obviously the, the COVID uh, crisis has exacerbated the, the concerns people have about income or workforce insecurity. Uh, and, and so uh, I think that suggests, as well as the simple data, which is the decline in birth rates, that, that what we're doing, we're spending $500 billion a year uh, supporting families, but it, it ain't working. <laughs> we're, not, we're not getting it to people at the time and in the manner they need it. And I, and I would note, you know, my plan is not a take it or leave it exactly as it is planned. I mean, I recognize that there other people have good ideas, uh, certainly Senator Lee and, uh, and, and Senator Rubio do. I, I know you, you as well, uh, Oren, you have uh, some ideas that in this regard. I'm open to those and think that if we make progress in this front, it's going to be on a on a collaborative basis, um, at, and we're going to have to have Democrats, not just a bunch of Republicans, uh, work on this or conservatives, but we're going to have to have some Democrats look at it and, 
and it'll it'll change in some ways. But I think recognizing that our current programs are really not working in the way we'd hoped, and that moving to a monthly support, uh, and and hopefully not raising taxes to pay for this, but instead uh, finding pay fors within elimination of current programs, uh, that that's an approach that that uh, that has some merit, and and what we're seeing instead from the from the president is saying, hey, I'm going to take the, the current child tax credit and I'm going to make it even bigger. It's like, well, great. That means an even bigger check for people to get uh, at, at the end, perhaps. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and of course, it's a, a pretty steep uh, curve based upon people's income. Um, I, I think there's a way to say, hey, let's reconsider how we designed the program from the very start and see if we can come up with something that's really the most effective. And, and part of what we did was look at what, what's being done in some other countries. Uh, and saying, hey, that, that seems to be having a positive effect, effect there. So getting back to your question, I think the realities of, uh, of the kind of uh, employment insecurity people feel today uh, are, are, are part of a reason why we need to rethink how we provide this support for kids. Yeah, the, 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 the contrast to the Biden um, plan, of course, is interesting because that only is here for one year. So we, we are almost sure in probably starting this week, but, but certainly in the months to come to see, you know, a tremendous amount of debate of, okay, well, what comes next? Do, do we make this permanent? Do we, do we go to something that looks more like the, the Romney proposal or the Rubio-Lee proposal? Um, I'm, I'm curious, as you've talked with, with colleagues on, on both sides of the aisle, what your read is on on how that that debate might evolve, or or beyond, obviously, just to your plan, where where you would want to to see it evolve. Where do you think there's the most common ground, and and where do you see there kind of being the most conflict to to resolve at this point? Well, I, I think the Democrats are going to have a, a difficult time deciding what of all the things that they promised that they're going to give people for free, they're actually going to do, and how they're going to pay for it. Uh, and, and no question, they intend to raise taxes uh, through the reconciliation process. Uh, but they have so many things, whether it's uh, uh, college tuition, uh, uh, you know, reduction in, in the college loans, uh, whether it's a Green New Deal, uh, investments in, uh, in K through 12, and of course, these, this uh, child support effort. I mean, this is a, a you know, multi-hundred billion dollar uh, uh, effort that the president's proposed. Uh, so how are we going to pay for it in a non-emergency year? And, and I don't know that they have confronted yet the cost of all the things that they want to do. And, and uh, so I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I know there's going to be enormous pressure uh, on the part of the Democrats to say, you've got to continue this program uh, that the president put in place during COVID. And by the way, that's not just going to apply to kids. There's going to be enormous pressure. People are going to say, hey, I got a $600 check and then I got a $1,400 check. Where's my check this year? I want another check. Uh, we're, we're creating a, an expectation in our country uh, that, that is going to be hard to, hard to meet. And um, I, that's, that's why I, I'm encouraged that I've had a number of senators. Um, frankly, the Democrats have paid more attention to my proposal so far than have Republican senators. But I've had a number of Democrat senators come by and, and say, you know, I think you've got an interesting proposal. Uh, I'd like to take a close look at it. I think we need to make progress on this front. Um, uh, there are some folks, by the way, who said, hey, look, I like TANF. I like the connection TANF gives uh, to, uh, uh, to individuals, that are, to young couples and so forth to make sure they're getting in the workforce, they're getting an education, just checking up on them. 
uh, and, and TANF works in some states. Uh, there's some other states where the money is kind of used as a budget filler, uh, you know, where there are gaps and it's not used as effectively as in others. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm open to saying, okay, let's, let's keep certain elements of TANF that, that may be working. But, uh, but the, the recognition that we need to adjust our programs, I think, is, uh, is pretty substantial. And I think, interestingly enough, the president having uh, put a bunch of money in this new child tax credit uh, in, the, in his $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill um, is going to focus more attention on, okay, what are we going to do next year? And, and I'm not afraid of that because I got a proposal there, uh, but, uh, uh, but I think it's going to be a very challenging environment to get uh, to, to find common ground between Republicans and Democrats, but I think that's got to happen. And I think, you know, Senator Lee uh, and Senator Rubio, uh, I, I'm delighted that they, uh, you know, have put out a plan as well. It just says, okay, this is an important topic. Republicans, we have a point of view here. I'm afraid on too many things going on in Washington right now, Republicans are seen as not having a point of view other than no. And, and uh, you know, there are a lot of things that Democrats are doing, but the, the right answer is no. But there's some topics where, where we have a better idea, and I think it's important for us to lead with those ideas, and this is one area I think we can do that. It's discouraging and encouraging at once, I guess. Uh, I, I think we have time for one more question, and, and I'm excited to ask you, you one that, that I get asked all the time, and now I, I get to, to, to turn around and pass it on, uh, which is you know, looking back to 2012 as opposed to today, obviously there, there's a whole different issue set in that is, that is under debate, there, there's different set of concerns, both parties are in different places. I'm, I'm concerned as you think about your own work during, or curious as you think about your own work during this time, are, are there any particular landmarks, things you, you learned along the way, things that, that changed out there in the world that, that, that have really changed how you think about things or, or where you focus compared to, to where you had in the past? You know, it's uh, it's embarrassing to say I wasn't entirely right on all issues back in 2012. Right? Even though I had a brilliant uh, uh, policy uh, director. Uh, and, you you, uh, and you did all right. We, I'm, I'm, I, we we have our shirts that say "Don't blame us. We worked for Romney." So <laughs> nothing to worry about there. Uh, but uh, but but you know, I guess the thing that's probably been most dramatic uh, that's changed in my perspective uh, over the last almost ten years. Is uh, is seeing China today uh, as a as a power which is intent on uh, dominating the world uh, and replacing the liberal democratic order in the world and the the rules of the road for the economy and for our military and for the freedom of navigation and the freedom of the skies and, and space they intend on basically taking over the world and uh, uh, you know I. I uh, uh, you know, we, we could see them uh, emerging in 2012, but they weren't as great a focus as I think they need to be today. And, and so as we, as we look at, at the policies domestically that we put in place, I think we recognize that there's a, a, a high degree of concern that we remain a strong and vibrant economy, not just for the well-being of our, our citizens, that's a huge priority, but also to make sure that we can sustain the military, sustain the education system, the, the uh, technology and innovation systems that allow us to, to push back on China and to, uh, uh, to encourage China through uh, our strength and through the strength of our allies with whom we link arms to get them to finally play by the rules. 
because um, the world dominated by China is not like the world dominated by, uh, by Great Britain or the United States. Uh, if you want evidence of that, look at what's happening to the Uyghurs. I mean, this, there is genocide being undertaken against a population of a million people. And look what's happening to the people of Hong Kong. Promised self-rule, uh, given the heavy hand of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and, uh, and I'm sure the Tibetans would have a lot to say as well about life uh, under Chinese rule. So that, that is probably the single most dramatic uh, change on the world stage that I think requires us to, to concentrate even more fully on making sure that everything we're doing uh, strengthens us, keeps our economy strong, allows us to lead, and allows us to, uh, to have the moral and economic strength uh, to, to uh, bring together the other nations of the world uh, to, uh, to keep China from, uh, from trying to change uh, the, the kind of world that, that we think would be best for, for freedom and for the people of the world. Well, we will have to leave it there. Senator Romney, thank you so much for, for all the work you and your team do on, on, on thinking about these policy issues, on, on doing it in an open-minded way that, that I think really moves the discussion forward, uh, and, and for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Ron. Good to be with you. Thank you for listening to the American Compass podcast. If you enjoyed this, please tell a friend and don't forget to subscribe. To learn more about American Compass and read our work, please visit AmericanCompass.org.